the thing that I want to ask you is, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? I think most of the people in the room, if not all the people in the room, are going to say, yes, I am a Christian. And if you are a Christian, then one of the things that should be of vital importance to you is to be like Jesus. That if you're going to claim to be a Christian, but you're not going to seek to be like Jesus, then you're really missing a central portion of what it means to be a Christian. And so hopefully all of us here are saying, yes, I want to be like Jesus and I am trying to be like Jesus. And there are many different ways that we should want to be like Jesus because he was a servant of servants. And so we need to be like Jesus and that we would serve. He had an excellent way of responding to criticism and ridicule. And we need to be like Jesus in that way. There's a whole host of ways that we could look at Jesus' life and say, how could I be more like him in my life? And this morning, what we're going to be looking at is how Jesus is the ultimate example of submission and sacrifice. And we're going to look at how Jesus in his life submitted and sacrificed. And we're going to be asking, how can I submit like he did? How can I sacrifice like he did so that I can be like Jesus? And the text that's going to be sort of outlining our study this morning is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And let's read that. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Here we have, I would say, at least three different things that we can see about Jesus as it pertains to submission and to sacrifice, particularly, particularly of submission. The first thing that we're going to be looking at this morning is that for Jesus, submission was everything. It was life-defining. That he was obedient to the point of death. Submitting to the Father meant so much to him that he was willing to die to obey the Father's will. The second thing we're going to look at this morning as we're looking at Jesus and how he submitted from this passage is that he submission for Jesus required sacrifice. That he was not able to submit to the Father without sacrificing things of himself, ultimately sacrificing himself in order to submit to the Father. And the third thing we're going to look at is that for Jesus, submission led to his glorification. That because of his submission, he was raised up. And that every knee will bow before him. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're going to look at these three things this morning. And we're going to start with that first thing I mentioned, which is the, that submission was everything to Jesus. It was life-defining. 
And we're going to spend most of our time this morning on this first point because it is crucial for us to understand how for Jesus, submission was life-defining so that we can make it the thing that defines our life as well. We can see that submission was life-defining just by going to some of the earliest things that we have told to us about Jesus where when he was 12 years old, his family traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And maybe you remember, but uh, just in case you don't, his parents, you know, they, they were with Jesus in Jerusalem, but then they left and they left him there not knowing. They, they lost the Messiah, okay, the one that's going to save the world. His parents lost him. And they're going and they're looking for him. Where is Jesus? And they find him in the temple talking with some of the teachers. And when they question him about this, he responds to them, Why did you seek me? Did you, not know, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? From 12 years old, Jesus knew his focus. He knew his thing in life was to be about the father's work, to be about his business. From 12 years old. And onward, because as we fast forward and we get to where Jesus was about my age, I'm 28, I turned 29 this year. When Jesus was about my age, he was going to begin his ministry and he goes to John the Baptist who has been baptizing people in the river. And he goes up and he asks John to baptize him. And John goes, well, I'm not worthy to baptize you. But Jesus responds to him and says, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John the Baptist, allowed him. It was fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It was Jesus' goal to make sure that all of righteousness was fulfilled. Not some of it, not a piece of it, all of it. It defined his life. It defined his ministry. And you can see teaching and teach after teaching and several sayings of Jesus that point us to the fact that it defined who he was. One of the things that he says in John chapter 4 that is quite boggling to me is this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food my food, the thing that gives me energy, the thing that sustains me, the thing that I go to work for in the day, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. It was everything to him. It gave him energy. It gave him drive. It's what he woke up in the morning to do. The will of God. Another passage in Psalm 69, verse 9, which is quoted in reference to Jesus, says, For zeal for your house has consumed me. He is eaten up with a passion for God's house, for God's work to do this. It was life-defining. He was zealous for God's work. I know a lot of times when we think about someone who has this sort of passion, that has this sort of drive, a lot of times we think, well, it must always be easy for them. You know, it must always be easy for Jesus to be accomplishing the will of God, to do the will of God, because he's so passionate about it. But I say there's at least two instances where we, that we see in the scriptures where it was not necessarily easy to submit. 
One of those is in Matthew chapter 4. Right after being baptized, it says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, and if you recall, he is tempted three times. And he does what no man before him has ever done or has done since. And he passed the test. He submits to the will of Father after three temptations from the devil after being hungry because he hasn't fasted, because he's fasted for 40 days. I don't know about you, but you know, I go to work and I eat around noon and I come home around 5 o'clock and come 6 o'clock, I'm getting hangry. You know? I'm getting really impatient. My patience is wearing thin. The kids, they start irritating me a little too much because I'm hungry. Jesus has gone 40 days without eating and now the devil comes to tempt him and he passes the test. He submits every time. There's no way that was easy, but he does it. Another time that Jesus submits to the Father that there was no way it was easy is found in his trial, in his crucifixion. We know it wasn't the easiest thing for obvious reasons, like being whipped and spat upon is not easy. But it was also not easy because we know it was not necessarily what he wanted. And we see this in the prayer in the garden in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 44. Here it says, Then Jesus came with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him, and he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying, so that you do not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went again, away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink from it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and he left them again. And he went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Three times Jesus is praying, If there's any other way, if there's any other way for your will to be done, God, please let it happen. But your will be done. If there's any other way for your mission, your work to be accomplished besides going to that cross, besides going through what I'm going to have to do, please make it happen. But your will be done. And from this moment on, we see Jesus aligning his will with the Father throughout all of the struggle that is to come, through the whippings. The tauntings. He aligns His will with the Father. 
And when you look at these different situations, these two different situations, through the temptation through the devil on the mountain after fasting for 40 days, and this unjust trial where he gets whipped and he gets spat upon and his friends betray him and he has the agonizing torture and the death of a criminal, he's undergoing all of this, aligning himself with the Father. And there's a question that comes to my mind when I picture Jesus doing this. And the question is, how did he continue to submit through all of this. How does he do it? How does he endure all of this submitting the entire time? And I think we get some of an answer through the stories. If you go back to Matthew chapter 4 and you're looking at the temptations, all three times that Jesus is tempted, what does he respond with? It is written. It is written. It is written. One of the things that we know that Jesus had was He had Scripture, and through Scripture He was able to endure those temptations and to submit to the will of the Father. And then what about through the unjust trial and the death? How does Jesus endure this? Well, I would say that He keeps His own advice. What did He tell His disciples when He was in the garden? Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went into the scenario after praying. He had prayed to the Father, don't make this happen, but your will be done. And he went into the situation aware, aware of the fact that his spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. In all three of these different things that you see that Jesus did, what I want you to consider is the fact that Jesus was proactive. Jesus didn't go into the situations caught off guard. He was in these situations proactively seeking to do the Father's will. And so what I want us to consider this morning is that Jesus was able to endure these difficult temptations because he had this attitude of my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That when Jesus prayed in the garden, your will be done, this was not a one-time thing, but this was an every day of his life thing. Where every day of his life, Jesus lived saying, not my will, but the Father's will be done. And through Jesus, what I think that we see is that the difficult submission happens when daily submission is happening. And we can't allow ourselves to think that hard times, hard trials, hard temptations are going to come and we're going to pass the test when we haven't been giving God every day of our life leading up to that. We're fooling ourselves if we think that we can go days without prayer, days without Scripture, days without thinking about Jesus or God, days without trying to do acts of service for God, and then pass the biggest test that comes our way. We're fooling ourselves if we think we can do that. It requires daily submission, daily giving yourself to God if you are going to submit like Jesus But what does that look like? You know, how do we give ourselves to God daily? How do we submit to God daily like Jesus did? Well, I think looking at Jesus and how it was, submission was life-defining for him, I think we kind of see two different layers of submission for Jesus. One layer uh, is the your will be done. That Jesus understands that God the Father is authority, the authority and he's going to do what God says, Period. 
But there's another layer to Jesus' submission that goes back to this idea of my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And that for Jesus, it was everything to him to do God's work. Let's look at this passage in John chapter 6, verses 38 through 40. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of everything that he has given me, I will lose nothing, but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. It was the will of the Father that all who trust in Jesus will be raised up on the last day. And Jesus made this what defined him, accomplishing this will. Jesus saw doing the will of the Father as the very reason for his existence. It wasn't just because God says so, but it's this is the reason I am here. The reason I am on this earth is to do God's bidding. It's my purpose. It's my desire. It's what defines me. What we see in Jesus is the difference between, well, God doesn't say I have to, and the attitude that says doing this will further the mission of God. It's the difference between a mindset that says, well, God says I have to, and I am eager to participate in God's work. What we see in Jesus is the difference between the mindset that just tries to do the bare minimum to pacify the authority and trying to give everything to God's good work. And too often we're like this other person who's just trying to do the bare minimum to pacify the authority. And that's why submission is so hard. But for Jesus, it was everything to him. He wanted to give everything for God's work, for God's mission. And I want this picture to sort of stick into our heads and really uh, uh, sink in deep. And so I want you to consider um, this analogy for a second. Consider for a moment that you are an employee. But you're not this employee. This employee is frazzled, doesn't really like his job too much. This employee, you're this employee. You like your job, you're dedicated, you love your job. And you love your job because you have a fantastic boss. You've got this, this amazing boss, like Yancey Jones, but better, okay? An awesome boss who loves you and cares for his employees. And he shows that he cares for his employees. And he gives you a good work to do. And not only does he give you a good work to do, he's got this vision. This boss has this vision and this goal that he's put before you, maybe a five-year plan or a ten-year plan, and you look at this boss that you love that is fantastic, and you look at this goal that he's set before, and you are bought in. I mean, you are sold out on the vision that this boss has before you. And when you're this sort of employee, where you're bought into the mission, and you're sold out for it, and you are driven by it, you go from being the sort of employee that checks out, clocks out five minutes early to working five minutes late. You go from being the sort of employee that does the bare minimum to not get fired to trying to actually do things to accomplish the vision or the goal. You go from being the sort of employee who does extra tasks just to get a promotion to doing extra tasks because you want to see the goal accomplished. You go from being the sort of employee that, you know, anytime you get a, you get a re request that you don't really understand, instead of fighting back against it, 
You say, well, my boss actually sees things that I don't see, and I love this vision, and I trust my boss, and so I'm going to do it. You have this sort of boss that you're willing to do anything for, and you love the vision, and you commit yourself to it. And we have that kind of boss. We have that kind of authority that cares for us. He sent his only son to die for us. We have this kind of boss that has this amazing vision, and this amazing goal. His work is to raise the dead. His work is to raise the lowly. His work is to reconcile the entire world to him and to call all people who repent to him. His work is amazing and he loves you and he cares for you and he wants what's best for everyone. But sometimes and far too often, we clock out five minutes early. And we see the work of God is simply mandatory. Instead of being in awe of the fact that we are called to be a part of his mission to begin with. We were his enemies. We chose a different path. We wanted to treat his work as if it didn't exist. Treat him like he didn't matter. And he still loves us and calls us and says, participate in my good work. We look at his work and say, oh, I just got to do it. Instead of just being in awe that he loved us enough to say, join me in this effort. We look at this work like, oh, it's such a bummer that I got to do it. And we fail to look at it and say, that work is amazing. It's better than my job. It's better than my family. It's better than everything in the world. The God that I serve has an amazing vision and goal. And we should be driven to give everything to it. This is, is a sort of heart and an attitude that we should sort of have where we look at the mission of God and we give everything we have to it because we recognize that it is good and a good and loving God gave it to us. And this requires a mind shift, a mindset change, a shift in our hearts. And it's going to cause us to really ask some hard questions of ourselves. If we're going to give everything to God's work, and we're going to submit like Jesus, we're going to have to ask ourselves some really difficult questions where we come before the throne of God and we say, here's my job, God. Here's my money. Here's my entertainment and my hobbies. Here's my education and my family. What do I do with it? Do I need to get rid of some of these things? Do I need to exchange so many things? These are the things I have, God. Tell me what to do with them. How do I use them for you instead of myself? How do I bring everything that I have and I lay it at your feet for you? How? Search my heart, God. Reveal any wicked way within me. Help me. To give you my everything. This might look like asking, how will my job serve the mission of God? How is my entertainment and hobbies fitting into God's will? How will I use my retirement? 
How will my family be used for God's glory? How does my major serve God? How does my singleness or my dating life serve God? If we're going to have this sort of mindset where we're going to commit everything to God's mission, we're going to have to ask ourselves these kinds of hard questions where we're looking at our job and I'm asking How does my job serve the mission of God? How does it fit in? How does the thing that I do from the nine to five actually serve God? How am I doing that? We're going to look at the education that we choose or the major that you have. And you're going to say, is that really going to align with the will of God? Is it going to put me somewhere else? We're going to look at the choice to retire and we're going to ask, how is my retirement going to fit into the mission of God? How am I going to use that time? How am I going to use that money that I have for God's will? We're going to have to ask ourselves these hard questions about things that seem so basic if we're going to give ourselves fully to the mission of God. And if you haven't asked yourselves those, yourself those questions... Do it. Get with an elder. Get with someone who is spiritually minded and ask these questions. And after you ask these questions, you've got some hard follow-up. Because it's a lot easier to say, well, this is how I'm going to use my retirement than to use your retirement to serve God. Well, this is how I'm going to use my family. And then to actually follow up in doing that. Because as we've seen from Jesus, and we look at these questions, submission and giving God everything is going to require sacrifice. Just like it did Jesus. For Jesus, submission required sacrifice. Going back to Philippians chapter 2, we saw that he emptied himself and he put on the form of a man, the form of a bondservant. He emptied himself. He sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed. He sacrificed to the point of dying the death of a criminal on the cruel cross in order to be obedient to the Father. And if we're going to give our entire lives to God like Jesus did, we're going to have to sacrifice And what are some of the things that Jesus sacrificed? We're going to look at two. One is honor and glory. You know, he didn't come to this world and live a life of honor and glory where people were waiting on him hand and foot. Instead, he says this, Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. Jesus, he tells his disciples, they're persecuting me. They're going to persecute you. If you're going to submit to the Father, if you're going to give everything to His will, you're going to endure some persecution. You're going to lose some honor and glory. Going back to that passage I said that was in reference to Jesus, Psalm chapter 69. We're going to read verses 7 through 9 here because I think it gives a great picture of the sort of thing that Jesus had to endure in sacrificing honor and glory. He says, because for your sake I have endured disgrace. This honor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers and a stranger to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the taunts of those who taunt you have fallen on me. Jesus didn't live a life where everyone was standing around praising him and clapping for him. He was a stranger to his mother's sons. The taunts of those who taunted God, they fell upon Him. 
He had to endure disgrace and dishonor because of his submission to the will of God. And the question that we need to ask ourselves in turn is, are we sacrificing honor and glory to submit to the will of God? Because Jesus did. Jesus had to sacrifice honor and glory. Or are we too busy trying to cling to some little piece of honor and glory for ourselves? Or we're trying to magnify some portion of ourselves where we are unwilling to serve other people because it might make us look less important. Where we're unwilling to give our money to someone else or to the mission of God because we'd rather use it to make ourselves look better. Where we're unwilling to sort of bend over backwards because, well, then that makes us look weak. Jesus, He endured disgrace and dishonor to accomplish the will of God. And if we're not sacrificing honor and glory, then we're holding out. We're not submitting like Him. We're clinging to some worthless kind of glory. The kind we get ourselves, right? Not the kind that God has to offer. We need to be willing to sacrifice it. And if you haven't and you're not, I mean, just think about the past month. When's the last time you stooped down low in service to your God? When is the last time you were willing to endure ridicule and embarrassment to do God's will? Another thing that Jesus sacrificed was comforts. Clearly, one area where he in sacrificed comfort was in his death. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, it says, In the days of his humanity, he offered up both prayers and pleas with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his devout behavior. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. I mean, that goes beyond discomfort, right? Suffering and pain. He endured suffering and pain to submit to the will of the Father. And, but his death is not the only place where he endures discomforts in order to submit to the will of God. We say, uh, he says this about himself, about following him, and what it means to follow him, the cost of following him. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, where it says, And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus gave up the basic nicety of a home. He had nowhere to lay his head. He was effectively homeless to do the mission of God. I mean, I can't even hardly imagine that. I mean, I've had a home my entire life, and, you know, I could go to school, or I could go to work, and I could get tired of that stuff, or I could get tired of the people, and I could go home to my mama, right? And then I, or I go lay down in my own bed, or I go take a nice hot shower, or a warm bath, if that's your thing. And now that I'm married, I can go home to my wife. I go home to my, my new bed that's even nicer. And I get to relax. But Jesus gave up. Even that, a home, a place to call his home to accomplish the will of God. But what are you sacrificing comfort-wise? What are you giving up? 
I mean, we're all uncomfortable to some degree. I mean, that's just the result of the fall, right? You work hard. You come home, your body's sore. Your mind is tired. You have a headache. Everybody has that. You're a Christian. You're called to something more. Well, we are willing to give up the things that we enjoy that make us comfortable to serve the will of God. I don't know about you, but I come home and I'm ready to sit back on the couch and turn the TV on. Every day, I get done with job, I get done with my work, I'm tired. Let's go turn the TV on. Or maybe for you, you can go tinker with a car, tinker with your home, try to improve something there. Maybe you want to scroll through TikTok or Instagram or social media because you're tired and your job was hard. Everybody's job is hard to some degree. To some degree. But you're not homeless like Jesus, so I know you've got more to give. I know I've got more to give. We do not sacrifice our comforts. We're like the man who built bigger barns who wants to kick back his feet and relax and enjoy our own pleasure and our own nice things. We don't sacrifice comforts like Jesus. We don't choose to give up things that make us feel good, that give us the dopamine rush like a like on Facebook, that give us that nice serotonin like an awesome TV show, that ambient music that gets going. We don't sacrifice those things to accomplish the will of God. We don't go do visits like we should. We don't do Bible studies like we should. We don't get involved in service projects like we should. We don't teach our children like we should because we are not willing to sacrifice what makes us comfortable. But Jesus did. And if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be like Jesus. And you're going to sacrifice the things that make you comfortable. When is the last time you did that? When is the last time you were uncomfortable intentionally to do God's will. When was it? That's a hard question. But this is the sort of thing we have to ask ourselves if we're going to submit like Jesus. I know it's a bit of a dreary picture, right? No one likes to be uncomfortable, but... There are promises on the other side just like there was for Jesus because as it was for Jesus, it can similarly be for us. And that submission for Jesus led to His glorification where it says that for the reason of His death, God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name. That because Jesus gave everything, God exalted Him so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And we have a similar promise to us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time, having cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. If we will just lower ourselves, stop clinging to our own sense of worth and glory and honor and comforts, and lower ourselves to do His will, He will exalt us and give something better than we could ever accomplish ourselves just like He did for Jesus who sits on the right hand of the throne of God. But we cling to our own stuff instead. Now He will. He offers this if we will submit to Him and humble ourselves. One last passage this morning that speaks to how Jesus was glorified because of His death. 
In Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 11, it says, Then I looked, and I heard the voices of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every created thing which is in heaven or on the earth or under the earth or on the sea and all the things in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing, the honor, the glory, and the dominion forever and ever. Because Jesus is the Lamb that was slaughtered. He is worthy of everything. Any wisdom or intelligence you have, He is worthy of it. Any wealth that you have, He is worthy of it. Any glory that you have, He is worthy of it. He is King of kings, Lord of lords, and He is worthy of everything because He gave everything for you who chose a different path. He is worthy of everything. Are you giving Him everything? Are you clinging to this piece of dirt and calling it gold? He is worthy of everything. To close, I want to ask you to picture something. I want you to imagine that you're dead. Your life is behind you, and there you, go, there you are standing before the throne of the Lamb who was slaughtered for you. And he looks at you and he asks you, what have you done with your life? What have you done for me? What would your answer be? I mean, if you died, what would your answer be? You look back at your life. What have you done for him? Maybe you could say things like, well, I got an education. And I had this family, and it was a good family, and, you know, I had this job. It was a great job. You know, I made the job better by the time it was over. I improved it some. And I had this home. It was a nice home. I provided that for my family. That was great. And, you know, I, um, I had this car. Man, this car was amazing. Yeah, it was an awesome car. Lots of power, lots of torque. It was great. And then also, like, I had money. You know, I wasn't rich by any means, but, you know, I, I was better off at the end of my life than I was at the beginning. And also, I traveled. You know, God, you made a really cool world. Like, I traveled, and I saw it, and it was great. Also, I went to church on Sundays. I studied my Bible, and I prayed. But what did you do for me? I gave everything. What have you done for me? Would you be satisfied with what you have given to Jesus who gave his everything for you? Would you be satisfied this morning with what you have done to submit your life to God and to sacrifice for him? Would you be satisfied with your answer to King Jesus? 
If you want help giving your life more fully to God this morning, we would love to pray with you and to help you. If you'll sit on the front as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.